Hi, this is Liz Nord, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. If there's one thing every film has in common, it's that somewhere, somehow, there was money involved. But the road to getting a film financed is more varied and complex than ever. Fortunately, our guests on the show today are three of the brightest in the business, and each of them works with an org that helps finance and support low-budget independent films. Haley Pappas is the head of Riot Films, the film and TV development division of the media brand Riot, where she runs all content and creative strategy and has produced both VR projects and documentaries, including two Oscar-nominated shorts. Carolyn Von Kuhn is also a film producer and director of artist development at SF Film, formerly called the San Francisco Film Society, which has regranted over a million dollars this year alone to independent filmmakers. And Leah Giblin is the head of grants at Cinereach, which develops, produces, and finances several projects each year, as well as offering grants totaling over a million bucks annually. We all spoke at the Camden International Film Festival about the many ways independent films are being funded today and how you can access these various funding sources. The festival happens to focus on documentaries, but the organizations my guests work with support both fiction and nonfiction films, and anyone looking to get a film made will find some ahem, value in our conversation. So I'm going to ask you each to start just by introducing yourself and kind of the, the gist of your organization that you're here with. Thanks for having us, Liz. Um, my name is Caroline Von Kuhn. I'm with SF Film, formerly the San Francisco Film Society, um, and I'm the director of artist development. Um, and our focus is on both Bay Area-based filmmakers and then national and international filmmakers um, about... Half of our programs are uh, focused on um, national filmmakers, uh, U.S. filmmakers or U.S. stories. Um, and on the documentary side of things, we have um, grants and fellowships and uh, residency program as well. Um, on the um, uh, the fellowships are usually both focused on the artist development, giving a cash grant, but additionally pairing someone with um, an expertise in the in the subject or in the issue or some kind of other component other than just uh, supporting the filmmaking process of the filmmakers. Hi, I'm Haley Pappas. Um, I am with Riot. I am the head of Riot Films, where um, you know we are an immersive media company that focuses primarily on documentaries and immersive content. We explore sort of what does storytelling look like in both traditional and immersive formats, and um, and so what that what that looks like is a slate of anywhere from six to 12 feature documentaries a year, three to six short documentaries, six to nine or more immersive projects, whether those are VR films or um, augmented reality experiences. Um, You know, the way we work with filmmakers is we commission, produce, finance, co-produce projects at a variety of stages of, of the project from early development through to finishing funds. Um, And yeah, we're excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Hi there. I'm glad to be joining you all today. And um, my name is Leah Giblin. I'm the head of grants at Cinereach. And Cinereach is a nonprofit film foundation and production company that is uh, designed to support feature-length films uh, coming from either nonfiction or fiction uh, backgrounds. And um, we are looking to work with films that we find to be vital and artistic and uh, surprising. Um and uh, we, there's different ways in which we might offer support. I mean, primarily, there's our, our funding. Um, but there's also opportunities, we feel, to offer guidance 
or um, just uh, lend an ear um, and just be available to filmmakers through the often challenging and very rewarding processes of making films. So to give our listeners context and let them place themselves in this conversation, what are the like general budget ranges that the films you work with are working with? Well, we have the ability to support films at different budget levels. Uh, and it kind of depends on the, the scope of, again, of the project. Uh, that dictates the what its budget is typically looking like. So it can be very different for a ensemble fiction film that takes place in multiple locations versus uh, an intimate character study uh, documentary, right? So, um, but I find that a lot of the budgets range between like maybe at at the lowest, like $250,000 and going up to several million. Um, But it's in order for us, if we're working, if we're talking about grant funding, um, there's, we're specifically looking for an understanding of where our, what funding we could provide at whatever level we're usually working at, where that fits into the larger budget scope and how it can still be impactful within that. So. Yeah, and then for um, SF film, it's we're a little bit actually clearer on the narrative side. We have a cap of $3 million for the narrative films, um, and our funding has uh, historically tended to be more narratively skewed. We, we still are more narratively skewed. But on the doc side of things, yeah, echoing Leah that we see budgets as smaller, like $200,000, $250,000. If there's a film that is closer to $2 million than $1 million, um, most likely they're uh, in international co-production. And at that point, we really assess, do they not have an American partner yet? Would we be a valuable ally, not just in the soft money we're offering them, um, but also of making the connections for film festivals or distributors? Or what's the other kind of um, added value that we can offer on the artist development side of things around the strategic calls that we have? Um, but we we do... We do self-identify as being need-blind as far as when we're selecting a film to get a grant, Um, but I actually don't think it's quite as black and white as that, um, just because we do want to make sure that in addition to the soft money going towards a need for the film, a budget line, which every filmmaker has that need, Mm -hmm. even if it's just paying themselves for their time, um, that we do want to make sure that there's some other additional value we're adding onto that. But if we see a budget that is way too low, we will give feedback before we do the review process and explicitly ask that question. And sometimes filmmakers have just had bad advice or, or wanted to show that your grant would be significant or they're explicitly not paying themselves, which we do want our grant money to go towards the artist and are trying to actually shift our language to include that as a rule um, when we're putting um, selecting grantees. So. So, yeah, I would say from Riot's perspective, since we do projects um, that cross so many different formats, similar to narrative or nonfiction, um, for us, rather it's a traditional documentary versus an immersive project that Mm. even could be narrative, um, there's quite a range um, on the immersive projects, particularly whether it's VR, AR, and they're skewing um, narrative and we're doing more animation. I mean, those budgets can get rather significant. So yes, over a million, several million um, isn't necessarily alarming, right? I think that's something you see often. Obviously, we're not fully financing all of those, but I think that those are budget ranges that are understandable. There are also a total range of, you know, how you're producing things in the smaller budgets of those. Um, on the doc side, I think that similarly, yes, we see a range of budgets, but 
I don't think that we typically participate in films um, that are really too far over a million as a total budget. Mm. Um, For short docs, you know, we try to keep those rather moderate budgets. And I think that especially when we're producing things in house, it's easier for us to keep those budgets lower. Um, Feature docs, I would say around like mid six figures is where we tend to to aim aspirationally with the docs that we're um, that we're really hands on with. Obviously, that um, often stretches past what we intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's yeah, that's sort of sort of the goal. And I think similarly, when we work with filmmakers, you know, we we want to be however val- we want to add value wherever we best can. So if that is taking a backseat and just letting them be filmmakers, hundred percent, we're happy to do that. Um, but if it actually is digging in and looking at the line item budget and seeing which of these line items can we take off because we can actually do those services in house, um, you know, or we can provide those resources or labor in kind, um, then we'll look at things collaboratively that way. Really amazing to hear what you're all, you know, how you're serving these filmmakers beyond just like throwing cash their way. Um, I want to take a much more, you know, step outside of your organizations and and lay out for people how are documentary films and narrative films being financed. I know it's it's quite different, but just in broad strokes, what are what are the the pathways to funding? For filmmakers that are sort of happening now, I think one thing um, to kind of keep it a little bit in the on the nonprofit side of things is that one thing we're looking at is all of these um, distributors who are getting into production, like the Netflix, obviously, <laughs> who's instead of um, acquiring as many films or the Amazons or Annapurna or A24, really any of those bigger distributors who have money, they're getting in a lot earlier, and sometimes they're fully financing for the financial control, the creative control. So for the nonprofit perspective, we keep thinking about, um, one, just being San Francisco, not New York or L.A. What's what's our kind of identity there? How is that an advantage? Um, and so we're focusing on development money and as much soft money as possible because, you know, there there is the avenue that a producer can get into bed with a Netflix or Amazon and get the full financing. We want to make sure that the money and the any other additional support we're, we're giving them is an expensive money. I think about that a lot as a filmmaker. Wh- of what does soft money mean? Soft money means um, like the, the non-recoupable grants. So we're not investing equity in these films. We partner with foundations or other nonprofits and put money in that we never have to see back. So the filmmakers don't financially owe anyone anything. Um, so that's kind of been a, a, fo- a focus of ours. But it is interesting seeing so many of the bigger players coming in a lot earlier. And in our backyard, the... Facebooks and Googles and Apples and figuring out what that means with how much money they've just announced uh, that they're going to be putting into films or the horrible word content, um, (laughs) which just makes me cringe. Um, So that doesn't totally answer your question, but just kind of, yeah, something we think about of like what what our role is is as a nonprofit in the in the film industry. If we were to just list, like like to bang out a list of here's where films get money. They get money from grants. They get money from crowdfunding. They get money from individual donors. They put things on their credit cards. What, what else? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of like what I and we at Riot are seeing, I'm not seeing nearly as much crowdfunding anymore. Um, I actually think thankfully, because I think it's a shame, it's, I think it's, it takes up a lot of time and resources of the filmmakers and that's understandably maybe not their skill set and I'd prefer for them to just be making a film and other people to do the financing. But um, we are seeing, thankfully, still a lot of soft funding. Um, I don't know that the documentary industry would be here Mm -hmm. without that. 
it's actually kind of interesting to see that Netflix and various other distributors are potentially <laughs> profiting off of soft funding. Um, we are still seeing, you know, uh, private investors or donors at times. Um, yes, people's own cash and capital. I'm seeing less and less sort of co-producers or production entities that are actively financing as much as they are, um, you know, perhaps putting in development funding, right, or seed funding to get some sort of like teaser materials together to then take out to market, whether that's pitching to buyers like, you know, and distributors like Netflix and Amazon or whatever, or if it's also having more materials to then submit for grant applications. Um, so yeah, it does feel like the process and sort of like the stages of the process are a bit in a pendulum swing right now. And like they've like taken a drastic turn into one direction where people are pitching earlier and trying to get essentially money from the end buyer earlier. And I do wonder if we'll see it swing back the other direction, especially because, you know, we've in the doc industry, at least this summer, seen um, such tremendous results in theatrical distribution that I think it's like it's inevitable that it's going to change the industry and the way that we're financing a bit. Hopefully. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you you both are speaking to it in such sophisticated ways. I'm going to make it a little basic. Um, <laughs> uh, so as mentioned, there's the there are these basic sort of routes that one can take, but usually you're taking multiple routes yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're looking to finance a film. So you, you, you want to explore what grant opportunities are available to you. Um, and there's very specific sort of interests that mm -hmm. define those grant opportunities. Um, and so again, it's not like there's everything, but there's very specific uh, sort of places that you can look for that, that align with who you are as a filmmaker and the type of film that you're making. Um, there's also, as we were talking about, equity, financing, where you have investors. So the difference between soft money, like grants and funding, um, which is non-recoupable, which means that we're, no one's looking to have that money returned to them and not looking to have that returned to them with any kind of interest. When you're talking about working with equity financiers um, or investors, it is about the intention that they're investing their money in the project to have it returned to them at a later point, usually with a premium with interest involved. Um, and they're going to have different levels at which they're comfortable taking those risks and putting that significant amount of funding, financing really, forward at any point. Um, and they might, um, and they're looking to protect those, those interests once they've put in as well. And they can sort of then uh, set some terms as to who, what else, what other kinds of money um, and will be involved. Um, then there's other sorts of, again, some different ingredients that might be a part of your financing with film. If you are making a documentary, then potentially you'd think about public broadcasting. Um, ITVS has a number of uh, avenues to through which you might share your project, and some are specific programs based upon the background of the filmmaker. Um, others are more just a kind of a general project inquiry and uh, the amounts at which they might get involved. I, I can't speak to exactly um, at this point what is typical, but it's still, you know, dependent upon the film's budget, not necessarily going to resolve all the needs of the film. Um, as um, was mentioned, there is crowdfunding, um, and it requires a great deal of work, the same way that it requires a great deal of work to cultivate... Yeah 
financier, <laughs> yeah, relationships and, and networks. And sometimes it's very difficult to, to if, you're, if you don't automatically, if you're not automatically a part of those networks, how do you meet the mm-hmm. people who have the level of financing that you want to help you with your film? It's tricky. So, um, so crowdfunding is a more immediate opportunity for some people because it's not about whether or not your project is in alignment with whatever grant opportunity is outlined in, by their interests and mission, um, and it's not subject to the tastes and the determinations of a, of a committee or of another group, um, but it is then based upon your own kind of determination and um, ingenuity and, uh, yeah, sort of tirelessness in um, getting people excited from at all sorts of smaller levels that culminates in a, in a resource that you're, that's totally at, you know, yours to take. So though, if if you guys think of any other things that are very basic. No, I would just, I would just add an echo that, um, yeah, I do see, especially with docs, a good number of films that are pre-selling their rights or territories, especially with international films, um, you know, European, buyers and distributors are significantly different than what we have here in North America. Um, they tend to like to buy those rights and territories earlier, and it is a way to finance your production. Um, we're not necessarily opposed to it. It does just change the landscape of the ultimate finished product that you have, um, how you can exploit rights and territories, what you can sell for, who you can sell to, um, you know, what your potential upside is. It definitely changes that dynamic, but often it, you know, it can be a good selling point or frankly when you're in a bind it can help get you through you know get you across a certain threshold um but we definitely see that a lot especially with international films less so domestic it's exciting that um docs are really sexy right now i mean looking at kind of back to your comments about the box office of like mr rogers documentary and then you know rbg like that the fact that there's proven audiences for these films and there's um docs aren't kind of like a dirty word of like you know narratives being the kind of like you know alluring ones and i think with that kind of um you know sexiness of documentary which is both a like financial incentive and a proof of audience being out there it's exciting that there is a lot of money for documentary right now and um I think there, but it is interesting to see from the individual perspective, those who used to write checks as non-recoupable grants as individuals or, you know, for fiscally sponsored filmmakers now want to do equity investments because they see that there is a possibility. It's not just getting that story out there, helping with the outreach campaign or having the educational screenings. They actually see it as a financial investment in a way that changes things. Well, as a sort of side conversation, do you think that's a, a positive thing? Because my, my fear would be that these f- wonderful films that came out this summer are sort of the exception to the rule, and then and then does this take away the opportunity for most docs, which mostly aren't going to make that kind of money to, to get the soft money? I think the part that's hard is like when Amazon was going in and buying documentaries for a lot of money, and Netflix was, and then suddenly people were putting equity into documentaries. Um, and then at Sundance this year, there just weren't those sales. And so there was a lot of financial loss, even though there's some success stories like the Mr. Rogers doc and, um, and Ruth's movie um, that, yeah, absolutely. The, I agree with the earlier comments about the pendulum is going to continue to swing. This is not the, the new normal that we just ha- that has like a, t- a timeline to it. Um, but it is exciting that there is, I think, interest. I always think it's um, kind of back to an earlier comment. I always think of like how expensive money is for a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, and that either means like a credit that you've given away that then 
gets you into a tier of having to give away credit, like which is a terrible model, or if uh, there's a big ego with a funder, whether it's a nonprofit or an individual, and the same thing that a Kickstarter campaign takes a ton of time. Managing these relationships takes a ton of, ton of time, so I do think there's a deep obligation of the producers to set those terms from the beginning, and that's not just the financial terms, that's actually the terms of engagement between the money coming in in whatever form it's coming in, and then what what they're expecting to come out. So I hate projections. I just think they're such bullshit, mm. especially on the narrative side of things where you see it more frequently. Um, but really just making sure people, whoever that money is, is in it for reasons that, that are aligned with what you can offer them, the part that w- that is within your control of a very, like, non-controlled uh, financial market for films. Yeah, I mean, I think money has strings attached no matter what, right? Like, no matter where it's coming from, who it's coming from, how it's coming in, like, that is a transaction, that is a relationship. There are two people on either side of that, if not exponentially more people. Um, I think that, you know, even in situations where it's a donation, you know, it's a, this is a... Um, uh, 501c3 donation that you're making to the film through found what however you want to do it does that ultimately impact the film that you're making potentially yeah what is that donor's expectation right does there was a time a few years ago where we were seeing this wave of issue driven films and was that because that's where the financing you know and the funding was coming from perhaps mm-hmm. um you know now we're seeing distributors uh, get into production earlier on in the process. And while as a filmmaker, you may be paid a better rate up front, well, that eliminates your ability to participate in the upside, right? When you do sell, you're not a part of sort of any profit share that there is. You're just paid your fee up front. So I think that, and, and not in every situation, of course, there are a variety of different sort of deal structures that can be um, negotiated, but I do think that there are going to be pros and cons either way. My my concern is, do you retain the creative integrity mm-hmm. and um, and autonomy that you and your film need? This is, um, I think, this is one of the, I have to say, smartest conversations I've heard about about how about these approaches in a while. Um, and Leah, thank you so much for kind of breaking it down because I think we are, <laughs> we really are talking, you know, to to a wide range of filmmakers who might find this conversation pretty daunting. And so I do want to s- stick in some ways with the basics. And and one question that comes to mind when you're talking about all these different options is. Again, every film is structured, every film financing is structured differently, but are there general directions that docs go versus narrative? Like how does how do the options you all laid out there play out between within doc our, and, and narrative? Within our world? Within your world or within the, the broader world? Like generally speaking, which are the paths that narratives are taking versus docs in these options that you've laid out there? Like I should step back and say it sounds like, you know, what most filmmakers are doing is some combination of the options that you've mentioned, including working with your organizations. And so is there a sort of general combination that leans more towards doc versus narrative? I can't speak to narrative, but on the doc side, what I see most often is a combination of soft funding and equity partners, um, like to be to be as simple as, you know, a few grants that maybe came in really early for smaller amounts to help them get started. Then they were able to put together some materials. They went out to a producer, co-producers, whatever, who came in and made an equity investment to participate in the project. And then some combination of that team found their way across the finish line. One thing to consider when comparing uh, funding and financing models for 
documentary versus fiction is a lot more often in the documentary side, you're seeing people financing and fundraising as they make the film, as they go along. So it's kind of like, what do they have? What do they need? What can they um, acquire that will allow them to build the momentum to keep going, produce another part of the film, demonstrate the progress, and also within that progress, demonstrate what still is ahead where you know like well we've finished our shooting now we need to find an editor um so forth and so on whereas with a lot of fiction financing you there's an expectation to raise the full amount of the budget um prior to beginning production because you don't want to uh well it's very difficult to convince and it depends on the budget level but it's very difficult to convince a financier for instance to put in several hundred thousand dollars if they don't know where you're going to find the rest of the budget. Um, so they're a lot less likely to take that risk unless they understand where all the pieces fit together, what the plan is, and also what the terms of that are so that whatever their needs are in this relationship that we're talking about, a transactional um, as it can very basically be, that they're confident that their interests are being addressed and secured. So that's one way of looking at it. But so, you know, with a particularly with documentary, but it's also true in fiction film. There is this um, challenge uh, always made to the filmmakers. How much can they do on their own before they have something that they can take to others? And sometimes that's, you know, if you're, if you have um, been successful in making other films, whether they're shorts or features, you're, you have an advantage. You have like something that you can point to that people might really love or um, see the potential in, in what, what you're capable of as an artist and project that into how you speak about what you want to do next. But if you don't have a previous work or just, I don't know, you're looking to do something very different, for instance, then it's a little bit about having to come forth on your own and uh, until someone can see the thing that you're talking about and go with you that on that um, journey, as it were. Um, so that's the frustration for a lot of filmmakers. What if you don't have that level of personal capital or the, the time, of course, is, is, is just as sometimes as valuable as the money um, to spend really pursuing that idea, getting uh, shooting it in a way that looks the way that you would hope it for, for it to look. Um, and again, even putting together a, a successful sample trailer might involve working with an editor or some people get a little bit more... Um, advanced and thinking that they're going to get it color correct and everything. I don't know. There's a, there's different levels of what people feel like they need to, to produce in order to um, generate the excitement to secure more resources. But um, anyhow, that's just kind of an, an overview of how I see financing being put I, together. I totally agree. I think it's... Um, I'm not envious of documentary filmmakers who have to do this. I think that the even the directors, they have to be 95% producer all the time because, as Leah said, it's going from almost like going paycheck to paycheck, and it, they constantly stop. Whereas in narrative, you have the template of a script to fall back on. It's understand, it's, it's not theoretical. It's not going to shift as dramatically. Yes, things change at every stage of production. But with a documentary, yeah, you're, I think it, it's so backwards that in order, even like the the um, soft money, the, the grants that you would apply for for the development you know, funding that um, would be the, like, Easiest, I'm using air quotes for you listeners <laughs> to get. <laughs> so not easiest. Um, you know, we only, each of us who are reviewing these have the limited imagination that we have. And we might review many, we might uh, we might be capable of an imagination that sees the potential in your project. But 
you, you don't know who's reviewing your applications even at an organization. Um, and so for you to have to have some form of media, as, as Leah said, that's like well edited, that, that proves all the things you want to prove to your potential funder that you're getting you know, $10,000 or $25,000 to barely make ends meet to just get to production. But you need that money because it's happening right now. And if you miss this window, then you can't even make your movie. Like it's, the funding is so challenging. Going from zero to that first money, I think is the hardest part. Um, Cause you basically have to like go into debt to do that. I think, um, you know, there's very few Alex Gibney's and Errol Morris's out there that like either can afford to, or can the money can come in more easily. So I think it's that development money that we were talking about that is like it's the hardest it's the hardest to crack. I mean even even as a as a company that has a parent company that has a content fund, you know, projects that we are supporting and and essentially producing more hands-on internally, we face that struggle, right? You know, in in that well, we've only greenlit x amount of money, but you know, Bob is going to Thailand tomorrow and we can't miss this. Okay, well we have to whatever. <laughs> we have to change our entire financing plan. You know what I mean? Like we have to rework the whole because yes, life unfolds and happens and and it won't wait for you. Um also what's interesting though is as I as I think we're all seeing more of these sort of blended fiction non-fiction projects. Mm-hmm. Um the financing models around that are really interesting as well. We have a couple projects that we're working on that are, um, you know, in the vein of a wormwood or something, right. Where you're seeing, you know, doc elements as well as narrative elements. And it's interesting because, you know, we have one project right now that like the doc is done, it's shot, it's in the can, Mm. but we cannot finance the narrative for the life of us. And there is one path where, you know, this will not be the path because it's not the vision of, of the project. But in theory, okay, we could we could call it a day and make a finished documentary, but in order to make the project that we ultimately set out to make, now we have to go finance a narrative film as well and then weave the two together in post. So, yeah, it's a whole, everyone's just playing around with all new things these days. Which is exciting. It's great. And daunting. So, Carolyn, your organization, SF Film, works with more narratives, I think, than the other two represented here. So um, are there some trends in narrative financing that you're noticing? Um, I think the narrative trends are less interesting than the doc. I think part of it is because, yeah, the doc's the wild, wild west always, just in inherent in how the form, in how the films are made, and how the f- uh, film is found as you go in a way that narratives, again, have the safety of the template of a, of a script, at least, if nothing else. And again, that can change and what you get from your actors and what which budget level you have and in post and everything else. But docs are so much more uncertain. And so I think that's what's exciting to see that there's so much money going into documentaries right now and into series as well. And even having, um, yeah, whereas on the narrative side of things, yeah, we're a rare organization that we, we give grants to narrative films. Um, there's less models that you can have soft money in narrative, in narrative films. I think, you know, Cinereach is one of the few other organizations that really puts a lot of money um, into narratives in that same way. And we focus on uh, development for that, too, because that's when the money's needed the most of, like, you know, taking 10 years to write a screenplay because you had two jobs to afford to be a writer. Sorry, I have to stop using air quotes. Um, <laughs> afford was what I was trying to air quote. Um, to be, you know, to be an artist uh, is just... How can you do that? Um, and so 
where we're trying to give money where it affords the artist to move from one phase to the next. And in documentary, that's a lot more abstract. So I actually even have issues in the way we talk about our funding in documentary. We have a development fund with Catapult, and then we have a post-production grant. And we had similar applicants for both because you're always in development and you're always in post. And so, I mean, we're part of the problem. I mean, I love what we do, but that's confusing to filmmakers. It's like, am I... Am I ready for post? I've started editing. I've got three more years to go of shooting for this film. And again, if you go in and you're too rigid and you're actually more narrative structured in your financial model or in your artistry, you're going to limit your film. So, Mm. yeah, I have a lot of respect for documentarians. It's hard. Well, as a documentarian, I thank you. Um, So, okay, now I'm going to pull us back again to kind of, I'm I'm. I hope that you all listening out there find some encouragement and aren't just <laughs> freaking out. Um, but so let's let's give let's give um, folks a helping hand. So if 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 you know people are listening to this and saying, but how do I even access any of that? Like where? So so where do where would you begin? Even um, suggesting people research their options and maybe building some of the relationships. If they say, well, I don't know any equity investors. Mm-hmm. How does that all begin? I'm, I'm jumping back in just because I was one of the people who just got us so negative um, of saying it was so hard. Um, but I think, I mean, IDA has a great list of uh, resources. No Film School is, um, I'm not just saying that to be polite on air, uh, is a great resource. Um, IFP, you know, a lot of, I would say, start with the kind of Sundance, Tribeca, Reach, SF Film, the organizations whose, whose mission it is to support independent filmmakers at a risky stage. And whether they are the right organization for you, um, if they're not, they have colleagues and, and peers in the field uh, who are right for you. And, and each meeting we take with a filmmaker, I always say this to filmmakers when we're doing like the pitch training at Sundance of like, we're, at the other side of the table, our greatest uh, success is finding you funding, finding, unlocking something for you. And if it's not a grant within our organization because the percentages aren't great of how many you know films get actually end up getting that money, we're constantly thinking, okay, who can we connect you to? Because we are part of a bigger ecosystem and we're only as good as the projects we get to support and that our peers get to support. So starting with those um, you know, nonprofit institutions is a great way to go. And then I always say, like, look at look at films that are um, that you would uh, make comps to your own, whether it's in subject, in scale, in um, you know artistic style, anything like that, and see who their executive producers were, see who their producers were, see who funded them. And I just think people in this industry are very generous with their time when 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 they're not crazy busy. Um, and so you know, sending an email and having a very specific ask within it that shows that you have a question that you've done your research and so the person on the other end of the phone at Sundance or SF Film or Cinereach or wherever can offer specific guidance and response because, you know, they've probably tried to fund a film 25 different ways before the 26th one landed. So we all have a sense of different avenues to pursue out there. And then it is, part of it does come down to just a numbers game of who else is applying for that grant or who else has talked to that equity person and they wrote a check last week. So they're not going to be interested for another year and a half in your film. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a very difficult question to answer. How, how do I get introduced to the people who have more significant amounts of money than even just grants which are already competitive and 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 uh, their own take their own sort of very special work to 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 get um so other things that you need to think about is how you can um 
build a profile for your project and for your filmmaking. Um, and there with so many people making films and hoping to make films that, that is, again, it's its own challenge requires its own work, I think, but it's a reason why people do participate in markets like the IFP film market, um, or will apply for different workshops or labs or, or pitch forums, um, so that they have an opportunity to be in a spotlight and whether or not there are people in the room or there are people who are interested in finding films to, to finance and be a part of, they might pay more attention to what was selected and what stood out in those, in those, um, in those places. Um, so it's, it is a, becoming more familiar with all the various opportunities that exist, but knowing that every single opportunity also requires you to really come, come through um, and work hard to demonstrate and crystallize what it is that you're, what, you, what it is that you're looking to do um, with the film, what makes it distinctive. Yes, it's just imperative for the filmmakers to really develop the way that they talk about their projects in a manner that is true to the form that they're looking to follow, um, that puts the emphasis where they see it as being necessary and and of um, of compelling interest, and um, and also just in a manner that allows it to be as unique as it as it should be. One one quick thing to add too is that. Um, we um, at SFM are the woman who runs our foundation partnerships, works within artist development, and she gives grant advice to all of our supported filmmakers. And when she does strategic calls about about potential funding, she always is focusing outside of the film world because the acceptance rates for all these grants um, are not great because there are so many wonderful filmmakers out there, which is a curse and a blessing for those of us who get to be the ones to support filmmakers. And so anytime there's an angle, whether it's the visual art world or uh, some subject within your film, you're focusing on science. Okay, great. Who's funding science research these days? Okay, who are those foundations? Who are the board members at that foundation that is supporting science. Like any way that you can look at who's putting money into that subject or anything outside of just the traditional film funders, you know, you'll have that they see the power of media, which, you know, is such a catchy phrase these days. So anytime you can unlock that money, then that's that's exciting because I it's um, they're excited to have you know, film exploring, you know, what, what, where their passions are. And then you're not just doing that waiting game of, of applying to grants for like a year and a half before you unlock the one that is most closely aligned with, with what your film is within the film world. That's such good advice. I think, yeah, part of, you know, we're talking about where do you find these, these organizations and part of it is looking outside the box, not just looking at uh, No Film School, which is a terrific resource, mm-hmm. um, you know, for film grants, but to your point, um, are there, Nonprofits that are funding uh, water issues, and your film is about water, you know, water poverty. Like, go to them. Yeah, that's such. That's a really good point. I mean, it takes a lot of time and research, but you may have a much um, like more targeted approach than if you're just throwing your stuff out there to some film fund. Yeah, but I would say with Riot being not a grant-making entity, it's very true. We are always in constant communication with IDA and all the various different institutes and labs, and we attend all the forums, right? And so I think that, like, there is a certain filtering or vetting process that feels like, oh, great, they did, you know, these wonderful (laughs) organizations have done 
have reviewed thousands of submissions, you know, and they have selected this bunch. Not to say that if you don't make that selection, like the world is over. You know, we have wonderful colleagues, these various institutions who are often sending us things that Mm. say, this didn't make it this round for us, but I think this could be perfect for you. Mm. Um, You know, because we don't have an open submission process at Riot. That's not our approach. It's not what we do. We don't have sort of a a review cycle. It's often mostly just word of mouth relationships um, or, you know, the industry as we know it. So I think that like no, nowhere is too small to like poke your head in. I think once you just like, you know, stick a needle and then you get your way in. (laughs) Well, and I think that's a positive note too, that, that, you know, our listeners can take away that even if you have gotten rejected from a certain opportunity, it doesn't mean that's the end of the line. In fact, those, now you're in those folks' minds and you never know where that can lead. And now Leah, you sort of hinted at this, but, um, so, to, so once you have these introductions, you have to prepare materials for them. Like, what do filmmakers need to be thinking about early in the process about materials to put together, like some sort of pitch deck, or even if they don't have material for a trailer yet? Um, I think as far as if we're gonna, I'm just gonna jump jump to the trailer because um, I think this is a question like the most one of the most frequently asked questions for we get from filmmakers is, you know, what is what visual sample do you want to see? Um, and so we're looking at um, especially if it's your first film and we don't have access to kind of um, other films you've you've directed before. We want to see what is your committed artistic um, sensibility with within this film. Uh, what is your access to the subject or the area that you're exploring within this film? Um, and and does that sustain at the feature length? Um, will it you know does it warrant a feature rather than a short? And those are really just those are I mean I think feel like every discussion we have that can get into much more kind of sophisticated deeper areas stems from those three basic ideas. Um, and so um, not having you know a trailer that's cut all you know edgy and, and really cool that doesn't give me a sense of how I'm gonna what the rhythm um, of your edit is how much time I'm gonna spend with your characters um, you know how how deep you go. Um, things like that, that that can be a challenge of, of seeing kind of um, trailers in that way that are submitted. Um, but I think having um, anyone who, who can articulate their clear intention of their film, even if they're super early and they don't have the material to back that up, gives gives one a lot of uh, faith in that they at least know the direction they're going. And then I would say from a nonprofit standpoint, having sensing some area of like um, sensitivity or vulnerability as well just because I do think the doc form is is hard and you 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 have to be so you're both like steering that ship in such a sturdy like um, clear way but you're also adjusting to whatever waters you kind of come up against and that means artistically but also in like production challenges or financing challenges so it's such yeah there you're asking a lot to be as a filmmaker you're, you're carrying kind of both at the same at the same time piggybacking on on that when you are also building a framework for the sample visual sample that you might have to share um, it's another opportunity to bring attention to again the things that you feel are of interest um, and the fascinations or questions that are driving you into this project that are compelling you to to make this film to see it through that's the same feeling, uh, curiosity, um, fascination that you want to inspire in anyone who is learning about your project. So it's important that, uh, again, that your writing truly reflects those qualities um, for you. And I, I think sometimes people 
uh, especially in documentaries, um, feel a responsibility to somehow speak to all context, all sort of history, um, all sort of social concerns that might surround their uh, the film that they're making, and it's it's an effort to demonstrate, of course, the vitality, the the relevance of of the film and where it does fit into um, a number of things that are that people are tasked with day to day and 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 confronted with, and yet it's it it's entirely distracting um, because it sends a very broad signal of what you can lose yourself in that and not know again by what way you're exploring any of that through the experience of the film and so even if you're starting off very early and you haven't shot very much and you don't know exactly what's going to be in the movie and that's okay I think you have to honor the things that are of interest to you that are again compelling you further into it and um, I would as a another sort of suggestion that I often make to filmmakers is to allow themselves to keep it concise and poetic and suggestive as a sort of um, invitation to, to see it through further rather than exhaustively trying to address any and all points of the film and their approach to it and um, wh- what it is that they're dealing with. So it's, again, it's an invitation of sorts. I would add, give references, please, that help me imagine what it would look like or feel like or sound like or play like, you know, it doesn't have to say, you know, this is the blackfish of X. That's not the point, right? The point is, (laughs) (laughs) the point is identify if there, if you have not shot a single frame, that's fine. Give me a mood board. You know what I mean? Like, let's look at, well, what are other images that you love that you aspirationally want this to look like? Um, what are, were there certain animation elements of a per- particular film that you want to draw upon? I think list your inspirations and how you um, plan to draw upon those. I also want to know who you are. Like, who are you as a person? Why are you the one telling this story? Tell me what this story means to you. I'm curious to hear about the character or characters in the film as much as you know about them, but just like, who are these people? I agree that to me... Um, what's inside the film and like the this the heart and soul of it the like spirit of all of that is just as important if not exponentially more important to me than you know the socio-political context surrounding it yes a hundred percent we need to know that we need to be self-aware of that and you know let's be ethical and responsible and um and do all of our due diligence but like what's the art that you want to make and why and and talk to us about that like why are you excited I love it I love all of that um so you know we all agree this is tough it's very very tough um so I'd love to end with if I'm putting you a little bit on the spot but can you think of at least one kind of really positive example of here's how a filmmaker put something together and it all came together and you know it it was a big success I'm going to use an example that we were like the last funder of a million funders to come in on so uh we didn't um, do much for this filmmaker, but I loved the film so much, and that's Hill County. And Hill County, this morning, this evening, I'd met Ramel like six years before, something like that, at Sundance, um, and was really drawn to, I mean, he's profoundly intelligent and eloquent, so that's, you know, appealing in a director that you really, you kind of trust his artistic voice. But the thing that I admired so much about his process and the way he spoke about it was that he had 
trust but not ego in the way that he spoke about um, how the process would really dictate the form. And it was a little abstract because he's, he's very intellectual, he's very smart. Um, and it was interesting from a funder perspective of that's a hard idea to buy into when it remains a little bit more in the abstract and when he really is experimenting with the music and the pace of the edit and everything else. But again, that combination of, of like such clear vision, but also vulnerability, um, or sensitivity, I think more than vulnerability, um, is the filmmaking process. And I think what Leah said earlier about, um, you don't have to have all the answers and, and you, sh- you shouldn't. I, I, don't, I wouldn't trust someone to have all the answers at the beginning. No one has the answers at the beginning. It unfolds as it unfolds. Um, but that, that was a film that I, I really, he trusted the process and he could, he could articulate that in a way that I think is, is rare um, and, and really resulted in a much more beautiful, nuanced, um, smart, smart movie because he took a lot of chances along the way and then from a organizational perspective that was one that we're like we're not we're not need blind but at the same time you know we're like all right he doesn't need our help in that way but every but his process and the risk he was taking and everything that film stood for was so aligned with what 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 we do and the month this, that money is always needed you know it wasn't like money that even paid him it was money that they needed to finish the movie so um, I guess that would be an example of, of a filmmaker I, f- I found very successful and, and was grateful that we got to play a small part in. With our feature doc on her shoulders, we actually started that as a short documentary. Um, we had only carved out the budget for it as a short documentary. Um, we had hired Alexandria Bombach, the director, to um, shoot it, direct it, edit it, all of it for a short documentary. And um, while she and I were out shooting it, you know, she had expressed a number of times, this needs to be a feature, this needs to be a feature. And I was like, I would love that as well, but we don't have the budget. I can't, I can't get approval for that. Like, unfortunately, no. And it was just, you know, she kept getting it and unfortunately, no. So she went off to the edit and, um, a few months later, instead of sending in a short, she sent in a feature. (laughs) And, don't get me wrong. I was not like tickled initially. I was like, what? Um, but she communicated in the way she best knew how she is a filmmaker and she is a director. And the way that she knew to prove her point was to show, not tell. She was like, fine, let me show you. This needs to be a feature. And she was absolutely right. And did we have it in our budget right then and there? No. Did we find it? Yes. You know, I think that trust yourself, trust your instincts, trust your gut. If the project is meant to be in the way and shape and form you want it to be, like things will align. The people around you will find a way to support you. And, you know, we, I, I'm so happy she did that. Oh my God, she's my new hero. Oh yeah. <laughs> she was not my hero. At the yeah. time. I was like, Thanks, here we go. Wow. Any thoughts, Leah? I think about a film called Sugars, mm-hmm. um, directed by Sandy Tan. And I, if for those who aren't familiar with Shirkers, it's it is Sandy's uh, personal story of her and her friends. Um, several decades ago, making a film um, under the guidance of a, an older mentor. And um, and it's the experience of making this film together. And then what happens when that film falls apart and people are scattered or disappear and the way that, the, the weight of that really, how it sits upon um, Sandy. It's a bit of a mystery um, and it's certainly um, a... Again, it's a very emotional um, journey, and uh, it's 
it draws upon the the film that was made uh, by them many years ago, shot on film and shot on cellulite, I should say, and uh, very uh, alluring in its imagery, in its composition, in its colors, um, and of completely, again, of curiosity because what why have I not seen this film? Why does it not exist? Um, so I think on the basis of the original film materials and the sort of uh, a completely unusual story in and of itself that that, that Shirkers tells, uh, Sandy was able to receive some support from the Sundance Institute. And um, by way of their support, it led to meetings that she was taking, um, and that's where I met with her first. And the... It, there's something very tantalizing again about the material itself, which she received. She received all these cans of film. Um, und- well, they were. De- she went and developed them and had them then scanned, and all at her own expense because it was something that, of course, was extremely vital to her own life, and she she sort of needed to to, to see. Um, but if she hadn't had any of those materials um, already, it, I don't think that. W- in hearing about this story, it would have been quite as um, compelling. Um, but you see the the stills from from Shirkers, and um, you see her as a as a teenage girl, and uh, all of a sudden, the, the sort of echoes across time just uh, really intensify. Um, and so, the thing that happened is she gets some funding from Sundance, and then. Um, she gets some some funding from Cinereach as well, and that doesn't mean that she's set. She still um, is working for herself against uh, the money that she put towards the film. Um, she doesn't have uh, so much more of that to, to to draw from. So she and she had brought in a, an editor to help her with a sample. Um, she had hired a DP to to help her shoot some some interviews. Um, and so she has this material and, and finds herself all of a sudden again um, having processed some, some of this material at a place where she, she needs to get an, an editor um, and really go forward with it. And at that point, the editor that she had been consulting with had to take another job where there was enough money available for that editor because it makes sense. So um, she's got limited resources. She's got no editor, but she has a close creative collaboration like relationship in place with and instead of floundering there was a lot of discussion about what alternatives she could take and it was about looking at um films that had the kind of tonality and dexterity that um and rhythm and energy that she wanted as much for her own film and looking of course what who edited that who, who was a part of making that film um, and then going the next level and finding out who assisted those people um, and who are ready for another opportunity um, but aren't necessarily um, also commanding the level of, 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 a, of a fee that you find at with, with very in-demand um, experienced editors. And it was really, I think, a, a, the key to the film's then sort of incredible progression. Um, they worked very closely together. And because he was also s- somewhat new to, to this, he doesn't have his process set in place. Um, she, it's her first documentary film. Um, they just played around a lot. They tried a lot of things. And, um, and, this is, and then it, they, 
again, they, they, they made the most of, of what they had available to them and came out with, with something much wilder and more kind of alive than you would typically expect at a sort of working with an assistant editor stage. So it was, um, I don't know, seeing that drive um, and ingenuity um, on the part of, of Sandy also then makes one more excited to uh, provide them with additional resources to keep going. She also participated in IFP's Filmmaker Lab and um, in this way continues to see the film through other people's experience of it and that informs how the, the continued construction and refinement um, and uh, resolve on her part to make the film that she sees for, her, for it to be. So anyhow, that's a little bit of a roundabout story, but that's, uh, that's another example of resolve and self-determination and making the most of any resources that you do have available to you. Oh, now I really want to see that one. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It comes out October 26th. <laughs> comes out October 26th, listeners. <laughs> um, well, thank you all so much. This has been incredibly insightful, and I know you all have a lot going on at the festival, so it means a lot that you were here with us. Thanks for listening. If you liked this conversation, come back for a new interview or roundtable every Monday. And on Thursdays, don't miss our Indie Film Weekly news show that fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can get any of these by searching for the No Film School podcast in iTunes or your favorite app. Also, be sure to visit nofilmschool.com for useful new filmmaking articles every single day. Meanwhile, stay in touch. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at No Film School. See you on Thursday. <laughs>